0: Good morning and welcome to High Point Church Online. My name is Andy. I'm the lead pastor here. Great to be with you today. This is an online only Sunday. So uh, the church has gathered online today. We call this last Sunday here at High Point. So great to be with you wherever you're streaming or watching from. Even if you're streaming from a different city. Welcome. Thrilled to have you here today. We're going to jump right in uh, with a little question today. What do you think of? In your mind, what comes to your mind when you think of a church pew? Now, at High Point Church, we rent a venue here in downtown Kennesaw. It's one of the oldest churches in our area of Kennesaw. Um, It's well over 100 years old, and we have two church pews, right, that have been saved for historical purposes and reasons. What do you think of when you imagine a church pew? For most, they think of kind of an old version of church. They think of old hymns. If you grew up Catholic, many times you might think of a cathedral or a Catholic mass, right? We have these strong pictures of pews in our mind and people for all of antiquity, right? Basically worshiping with church pews. But it might surprise you today to find that for most of church history and biblical history, there was no such thing. As church pews, in fact, there weren't even places to sit during worship except for a few benches for those who were elderly. Worship looked like you standing and participating. There was so much praying, bowing, hands raising, singing. There was active body engagement. That sitting really wasn't a thing that you did. And if you read the Old Testament... And you read these public worship experiences, you actually see that. And oftentimes we don't notice it because we're so used to church being a certain way. What do you think of when you think of a church pew? See, during the Great Reformation, all of a sudden the emphasis changed from worship where you participated to worship where you were listening to the sermon Right, the the emphasis became the message and the sermon and the Bible being taught, the Bible being preached, the Bible being experienced. And that was a good thing, don't get me wrong. But one of the shifts that we began to see over time is that those who came to participate in worship shifted to people who spectated during worship. So what about you? Do you find yourself as somebody who's really participating in worship, that's participating in the life of the church? Or do you find yourself more kind of sitting in the church pew, so to speak, where you're a little bit removed, where you're a little bit not engaged, where you're a little bit just spectating a bit as it pertains to your spiritual life? You find yourself you know, dry a little bit on the inside? Find yourself, you know, does faith feel a little bit boring to you? A little bit irrelevant? Do you kind of roll your eyes at times or think, oh, here we go again, going to church one more time, and it almost feels like emotional drudgery at times to you? It's just tradition. It's just this old, stuffy, church pew kind of faith. Ever felt that way before? Chances are, even if you're not there right now, you might have at one point or you certainly might in the coming future. And so what do you do in a situation like that? What has God called you to be? How has he called you to live? We're in a series called Upon This Rock, the rock being Jesus. And it's all about the church and who God has called us to be. And the reality is that many of us know what we're called to be. We know what we want it to feel like and, 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 and want to experience. And yet many times we don't know how to get there. It feels like we're kind of stuck in the, proverbial church pew well today I have great news for you I believe that today's message is the kind of message that that's a bit of a defibrillator paddle to your soul It kind of sends some spiritual shock waves inside you to wake your heart your spirit back up here's what I want you to do today we're going to pray and then we're going to get into the book of John And my hope and my prayer for you is that you would respond to this sermon. And that you would take a step of faith and really feel the life of Jesus at work inside of you and through you. Father, be with us today as we worship you. Lord, I realize it, it almost feels like I'm preaching uh, almost a, a moment of hypocrisy in the sense that we, we started off talking about church pews and we're all sitting or, or, or somehow we're watching a screen for church today. And God, I'm asking that you would transcend that, that you would move through that. God, and that spiritually speaking, we would move from spectating to participation, that we would be fully engaged in the life of your church Move in our hearts today, Lord, in our homes, God, as we're listening to the podcast, in our cars, or at whatever point that we watch this sermon, move in us today, Lord. Amen. John chapter 12, verse 20. We're approaching Jesus being arrested. We're not far from it. Jesus being arrested and Jesus being tried and Jesus being nailed to a cross. Here we are in John chapter 12. There were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip. Philip's one of the disciples uh, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. And they had a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Who serves me? Okay, what is happening here? We've got some guys. They're Greek from Bethsaida. They're from the same area that Philip, one of the disciples, is from. And Jesus is in the temple. And the, the, the reality is, or, or the most likely what's taking place is that Jesus is in a portion of the temple that as Gentiles, Gentile converts, they're not allowed to actually go to. And so they, they, they approach Philip and they, they go to Philip and they're like, Philip, <laughs> Right? They're, they're making an appeal. It's very possible, my, my, I add, that they even knew Philip or had family acquaintances, right? And so they're, they're what are they doing? They're throwing out a line here. You know, they're, they're calling in, they're phoning in the backstage pass, right? To try to meet Jesus. They wanna meet Jesus, right? I, I, I am heading to a baseball game in St. Louis, right? In just a, a few days. Right? And there's a few players that we want to see and want to meet, possibly, right, even before uh, the game starts or after the game starts. And you better believe. I've messaged a few people that I know work for the organization. And I'm like, hey, can you hook somebody up? right? Because this is what we do. And, and so these guys are looking for Philip to hook them up. Jesus has reached celebrity status fame, status, and they want to meet Jesus. We get it. We understand this kind of philosophy on life. And so Jesus, he responds to this request with a classic flip around kind of cryptic moment where you're left wondering, like, wait, what? What? Jesus, what is going on here? And you have to stop and take a step back and sort out what Jesus is saying and also what Jesus is not saying in this moment. And much of what we're talking about today in terms of feeling alive and being the church, so much is in this text that we miss or due to just Western comforts we dismiss it. We, we just, we don't catch it. it. It's not caught in the net, right, of our spiritual life because it's not our normative experience. Jesus looks at Philip and Andrew. And he comes in with this response of death. You've got guys who want to meet Jesus. And Jesus' response is, hey, by the way, um. Those of you who want this life, who want to basically experience this life, my, my paraphrase, you want to keep this life, right? It, it's like a seed that has to fall from the tree and die. And those of you, you know, who are trying to protect this seed at all costs, you know what? You're not going to experience this life. But those of you who allow this this kernel, this little seed to fall to the earth and die to experience sacrifice, well, that's where life is found. Okay, thank you, Jesus. I'm not sure what you're getting at here. What's Jesus getting at here? See, Jesus is very much aware. We've just had the triumphal entry. Jesus has ridden into Jerusalem on a donkey, and the crowds have come and they're they're waving palm branches and they're laying them on the ground for him for his very feet to walk upon. They are looking to Jesus as their conquering victor. Jesus has just recently raised Lazarus his friend from the dead and people are going nuts they're going crazy over this so much so that the Pharisees want Jesus dead I mean they've got the plan in place he's got to die not only does Jesus have to die in their minds so does Lazarus okay and so Jesus's fame and status it's reached a fever pitch And so we've got guys that are like, hey, we want to meet Jesus. It's Jesus. There he is. Philip, I I mean, we're like from the same hometown, bro. Can you fix this up? Can you hook somebody up here? We really want to meet Jesus. And Jesus's response is one uh, 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 that, that is absolutely contrary to everything we know about being a celebrity and having status and fame and living the life. Don't we imagine life to be found in fame, in glory, in riches, in wealth, prosperity... We somehow imagine all of these things to be the very thing that gives us life. And yet Jesus is describing a very different experience. He's flipping the, the the very nature of the world. His This upside down Jesus kingdom is what he's offering them. And what is it that he says? He says, the hours come for the son of man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. He's foreshadowing himself in this moment. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. How he's talking about himself. And then he says in verse 25, now anyone who loves their life will lose it. Well, anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it. For eternal life. If you love your life. In other words. You're going to lose it. In fact if you love it so much. As to be anxiously careful of it to take all precaution in order to secure it and make sure nothing bad ever happens to it, that you never experience risk, that you never experience any sort of discomfort or being uncomfortable, where you never step out, where you never have to trust. Guess what you're never going to actually experience? Life. In fact, the life that you do have, you're going to lose it. You ever see the movie, right, where, you know, it's the, the the person who's trying to like sneak past the person in the background and they're carrying like the cake, you know, in the background. And you know, you know what's going to happen. They're doing everything they can to preserve this moment and to keep the thing from falling and crashing to the ground. And, and you have this uh, this this tension as you watch because you know what's going to happen. The harder they work to keep this thing intact, the more you know it's getting ready to crash and it's going to be one of those big spills. It's a classic just tension moment in most movies. Jesus is actually describing something similar here that if you spend all of your life trying to to be careful of it, to preserve it, to have precaution of it, not saying that you'd be reckless, But if you build a life that actually requires no faith, you'll actually have a life that has no faith. And a life without faith is really no life at all. You've lost the very life that you think you're desperately keeping and holding on to. Jesus actually says that if you would lose your life, that you would give it away that you would sacrifice yourself. That your life would be kept. That's a shepherding term, by the way. The word keep there, right, is the term that's used for a shepherd that is literally protecting its flock. And so in the same way that a shepherd protects its flock and the the flock of sheep experiences life by virtue of not having wolves come and bears and all the things, right? In in the same way, your life is protected, not your literal life, but the life of Jesus inside of you, the life of the spirit, the vibrant life-giving relationship that you need and so desperately want that thing is the very thing that gets kept and protected. I, I like movies a lot. Surprise. There's a movie that most people haven't seen anymore. It's an older movie called City Slickers. Right? If you've seen it, you can drop a little comment in the chat. Right? I love this movie. One of the actors' name is Billy Crystal. He's having this midlife crisis in the beginning of the movie, and he and his two buddies basically go on a cattle drive to try to discover what it is that will make them alive again on the inside. But the beginning starts off his one of his kids brings him in, right, for one of those good old classic, like, job-telling moments where, like, you bring your mom or your dad in and they tell the class what they do for a living. I don't think that, I don't know that that really happens anymore. I don't think that it does. Uh, But nevertheless, that's what's happening in the beginning of the movie. And he has this moment, right, where he's describing life. And I'm going to quote him here. He says, kids, value this time in your life. When you're a teenager, you think you can do anything and you do. Your 20s are a blur. Your 30s, you have a family. You make a little money and you think to yourself, what happened to my 20s? By your 40s, you grow a pot belly and another chin. The music starts to get too loud and a girlfriend you had in high school becomes a grandmother. You're 50s, you have a minor surgery, you'll call it a procedure, but it's a surgery. <laughs> and he goes on, I could keep reading, he goes on this giant, just depressing state of life and affairs and we laugh at it because there's a measure of truth in that for some of us, that is exactly how life feels and how life is experienced. It's this completely normative, predictable thing that, in many ways, is completely removed from a life of faith with God. And we wonder why people. Walk away from faith and walk away from church. I'm going to do something that can sometimes be a little dangerous for preachers. And that's that I'm, I'm taking this text in John 12 and I'm connecting it to something that I don't believe the original intent was made for, but I believe personally that it applies. If you've got a bunch of commentaries, by the way, many of them will say that this is a difficult verse, John 12, to, to, to understand. Like, what is the fullness of Jesus' meaning here? Part of what I'm going to tell you is my opinion on it, okay? But much of what we see right now in the West, in Western Christianity, we see a trend where people are disengaging and walking away from being a part of a church, and in some ways walking away from just faith in general. I'm not seeing as many people say that they don't believe in God, that they just have no use for this relationship and they have no use for this thing called church and being a part of a church. In fact, when you get down into these conversations, it just feels boring. Like, why does this matter? It doesn't have much bearing on my life. And so here's the state of faith and the state of affairs in our country. And one of the main reasons people abandon church and relationship with God is this thing called self-sufficiency. Faith is rarely needed and faith is rarely used. And what Jesus is describing in this moment where he's saying, look, you're going to lose your life. The very thing that you want this vibrant relationship with God, life on the inside, also eternal life, might I add. You're going to lose this thing by virtue of living a life void of faith. You're going to have to step out and experience a life that is defined by following me, and that looks like what? Sacrifice. This kernel is going to have to fall from the tree to the ground and die. You're going to have to pick up your cross. In other words, as Jesus says elsewhere, pick up your cross and follow me. In other words, do what I'm doing, live how I'm living, love how I'm loving, serve how I am serving. But because so much of our life is built around being self-sufficient and independent, all of a sudden we find ourselves in a position where we just don't need anything. We don't need the church I don't need this community. I don't need this purpose. I don't need this growth. I don't really need it. I have what I need to live a normative, successful life. And yet you're not experiencing true life. And we don't have anything where faith is required of us. Like where's the ugly praying? Where's the desperate praying? Where's the pleading with God? Where's the risk? Where's the stepping out in faith? Where's the discomfort, the uncomfort, the, the, the 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 challenge, the difficulty? And I realize in those moments they're not fun. Many times. You're uncomfortable when Jesus says, come to me, Peter, like walk out on the water. Peter would have been petrified and terrified. And guess what? He was so many of the moments that we see with the disciples following Jesus have stutter step moments where there's discomfort and there's questioning. And God, are you sure? Jesus, are you sure? Uh, No way. And these things have tension and tension in this relationship and sorting through Holy Spirit what you're asking me to do and how to serve my fellow brother and sister. This is requiring something of me that I don't like or that's uncomfortable or or that has me uneasy. And yet it's in those moments that this relationship feels alive and real. Jesus drops this bomb that is, in fairness, a little tough to get our heads around at times. Jesus, what? Okay, a seed dropping, you know, comes dies, life multiplies. Okay. But then Jesus actually lives this thing out for us. Because in the, in the, in the next few moments, what does Jesus do? First off, he says, listen, if you serve me, you'll follow me. Many times we think, if you follow me, you'll serve me. No, Jesus is equating your serving of him to being that of what it means to actually follow him. And then in the next few moments, right, we won't read it in the text, but Jesus, he he gets his, his followers in the room and he takes his outer garment off and he gets on his hands and knees and he begins to wash his disciples' feet 12 men and he is washing their filthy, disgusting feet. He is showing them what it looks like to die to himself and serve his fellow brother, to, to serve the people that he is called to love and be in relationship with. He's showing them what it looks like. Oh, he's going to demonstrate it in fullness very soon in giving his very actual physical life. But he does an amazing job showing you and me now what it looks like. To live and lead in such a way where you give your life away in service to one another. To serve is to sacrifice. See, Jesus sacrificed his life for the sins of the world, but he's sacrificing himself also right here. In serving the disciples to show us what true service of one another, what it means for the church, for you and me to really serve one another. It means that you empty yourself of what you want and what you think you need. And you give your life for the benefit and glory of God, but the benefit of others. And what is amazing is that the Bible says that as you refresh others, you yourself will be refreshed. To serve one another requires faith. Real service requires faith. It requires you stepping out and getting in the game, getting off of the old stuffy church Pew and truly engaging in this relationship with God, where you're wrestling with things, you've got to work through it. Amy and I were recently at a hotel for a ministry conference, and this hotel had the, you know this uh, amazing pool experience, and they had what's called a lazy river. <sighs> a lazy river. Guess what? It's nice. You get this inner tube, it's sunny Florida, you plop in that thing, right? And you just literally do nothing and it just takes you around and around and around. And in fairness, it is relaxing. But many of us have a faith that feels like a lazy river where we've just, we've gotten in the stream and we just are kind of going around. And we go around. And we go around. And, and, and what you need from time to time is a riptide, a wave, right? You need to ride this thing, right? You need to get out there on a board and have a little surf and and, 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 and get in this thing. It's exciting. Not every day. Your relationship with Jesus and learning to serve one another well shouldn't be this, this exciting thing every moment of every day. That's not healthy either. When people. De- Find and try to try to try to make a relationship with God like that all the time that's not normative either but it should have moments and seasons that require great faith where you are on your knees praying seeking God asking him desperate not just for yourself but for someone else God, can you use me? Can you do something in their life? What's it going to take, Lord? What is it going to take? God, I'll die to myself for the sake of this person. What can I do? What do you want me to do? What can I say? Who can I? Tell me. I'm at a loss for words. I don't want to be a lazy river Christian. Because it's only a matter of time when you live this life of faith without faith. Well, if it doesn't matter, why would you stick around? Why would you keep coming? Why would you give? Why would you do any of these things? Unless faith is alive. And for so many of us, we've been in an age of information and we've learned so much about the Bible and about Jesus. And yet we've never learned to really get in the game and engage in a real, vibrant, uncomfortable at times, risk-taking relationship with Jesus. So what does it look like? I mean, there are so many passages in the Bible about serving, to serve one another, to serve one another in humility, to serve one another in love, to serve one another in grace and mercy. And yet sometimes, if I can be honest, we sanitize what it means to serve. And we've reduced those things to Sunday morning service teams. And I love Sunday morning service. And I love Sunday morning service teams. Please serve. Please join a service team. We need you to be consistent and faithful and part of a service team. But if serving your fellow brother and sister is purely defined by a few minutes on a Sunday morning, then you have missed what it really means to serve each other. And if you're waiting for your church leadership to continue providing, right, these institutionalized moments of serving your community, while great and good, you're still missing what it means to serve your fellow brother and your fellow sister. There are opportunities literally abounding around you. And it's requiring you to take a step of faith, a moment of risk. Invite your neighbor over for dinner. That's going to require time. Sacrifice, isn't it? Food preparation. It's going to require a little bit more money than you're used to spending on food. Sacrifice again. Engaging in conversation that maybe you don't want to engage in. Sacrifice again. What is serving? It's sacrifice. And for Americans in particular, there's no greater sacrifice for us than time. Invite your neighbor over for dinner you say well i've lived here and i don't even remember their names humble yourself own it go knock on the door invite them over for a barbecue get to know them they got kids you got kids get the kids together build a bridge serve at a homeless shelter you say oh man this is uncomfortable for me i'm not used to this great pray seek go do it step out take your family Serve at Mercy Ministries. Get out of the comfort zone, the lazy river of faith, and serve one another. Go to the ATM. Get out some cash and return to the store parking lot just so that you can give it away to the person who's standing there asking for a handout. That's right. Go out of your way. You say, well, I never have cash. Great. Fix it. Go to the ATM and then drive right on back. You say, well, that's time. That's energy. It's all of those things. It's sacrifice. And sacrifice is the defining quality. Jesus reminds us of serving one another and following him. Call the person that you haven't seen at church. Say, I'm I'm uncomfortable on the phone. Well, I'm uncomfortable making that phone call. What am I going to say? I don't know. Die to yourself, though, for the sake of someone else. Ask how you can pray for that person and then actually do it. Not later on, not writing it down in your little thing or in your phone. Right then, right there, you're afraid, you're uncomfortable, you're uneasy. I know. Do it. That's how we serve one another. You get in this game, right? You get engaged in it and you allow the Holy Spirit to lead you into things and into places that you normatively would not go, that you would take the outer garment off, so to speak. Get on your knees and begin to wash people's feet, figuratively speaking. That's what it looks like for the church to be the church. Forgive your spouse. Consider their interests greater than your own. I have so much more to say about this. (laughs) Paul reminds us, and I close right here. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves, your body as a living Sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. To offer your life as a sacrifice to God. In other words, Jesus, you have everything. What do you want me to do? I'll do it. What do you want me to say? I'll say it. Where do you want me to go? I'll go. My life is like a seed that falls, that dies. As I die to myself, life is born and I am experiencing that very life. Don't let your spiritual life become an old, dusty, stuffy church pew. You're not a spectator. Participate. Serve. Get in the game. Father, we thank you. We love you and we worship you and we ask that you would help us, Lord, live literally as a living sacrifice to you. Whatever, wherever, whenever. Help us to say yes to you today. Amen. That's my challenge to you today, church. Wherever you are, say yes. Get in the game. Go for it. Let God use you in a real and vibrant way. See you right here next week.